Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me this Friday, January. Is it the January 27th already? Oh, my gosh. Yes, it is. Well, I hope you had a chance to either listen or watch on our Facebook page the uh, mayoral forum we had yesterday. It was lively. You know, long before we did that forum yesterday, I had planned uh, to go out to L.A. next week to see my daughter. And um, I am so glad I have that on the books because I think I am just going to spend a week where it's quiet and put my feet up and I may not even read the news. Okay, so, uh, yes, it was it was lively as we knew it was going to be. And frankly, even though people sometimes poke fun when a forum like that or a debate like that, you know, starts to get just a little bit off the rails. I kind of think those are some of the moments people live for when they're watching something like this. It's all well and good to hear the candidate's position on the issues, and that is the overarching reason for being there. But um, it's also interesting when they mix it up a little bit, too. You know, um, (laughs) we covered public safety. We covered public schools. We covered public transportation. We talked to them about, you know, how are they going to solve the problem of the unhoused in Chicago? We covered a lot of ground. And Lady B has been working furiously back at the station to try to pull what are probably, I don't know, 80, 80 sound clips from yesterday. We are going to be sharing that with you. We are also going to be trying to talk about some of the other news from outside Chicago. You know, it is Friday, and every Friday we open up the phone lines, 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278, so that you can call in and uh, talk about whatever news story of the week really affected you or is something that you want to uh, discuss in greater detail, you can also text us on that line. Our texting line sponsored by Camp Kupagani. Uh, you can get more information by going to multiculturalcamp.com, multiculturalcamp.com. Uh, Kupaga- Camp Kupagani is a place where they really try to Encourage kindness um, and equity and diversity and empowerment. So call us or text us 773-763-9278. We can, we can talk about the mayoral forum. We will be talking about the mayoral forum. I'll try to share some of the most informative parts and maybe the most lively parts. But there has been other news of this day, of this day and of this week. Uh, this week, uh, Ruben Gallegos in Arizona officially threw his hat into the ring. Uh, Kirsten Cinema, you know, the former Democratic senator from Arizona 
who resigned from the Democratic Party and now calls herself an independent. Um, the writing was pretty much on the wall that she was going to get primaried if she continued to stay in the Democratic Party because the people from Arizona who elected her are pretty much furious with her because she, you know, you say somebody doesn't change, Tiger doesn't change his stripes. That is not true for Kirsten Cinema. She was a pretty progressive. She was a Green Party person when she was first elected. And uh, she is now gone so far to the right that a lot of people were frankly surprised that she just didn't announce that she was becoming a Republican. But uh, she has said that she is now an independent, which clears the path for a Democrat to run to be the next senator from Arizona, Ruben Gallegos. Uh, even when Kirsten Sinema was a Democrat, you know, Ruben Gallegos uh, was clearly talking about and talking to people about whether or not they would support his campaign if he challenged her. So the only problem with the situation as it is unfolding now in Arizona is that, you know, again, this election isn't until 2024, which frankly is like 600 some days away. Um, but the polling right now shows Kirsten Cinema is the newly minted independent candidate pulling just enough votes from the Democratic Party to ensure that a Republican wins that seat in 2024. Uh, so she, she has no shot, at least unless something changes radically. She has no shot at hanging on to that seat in the Senate. But she can act as a spoiler. And since we've seen that the new and improved Kirsten Cinema is motivated by attention and money, but mostly money, um, I wonder what Democrats are going to have to offer her to get her to drop out. What kind of plum job or what kind of something they're going to have to offer her to get her to get her out of the race. And she's not stupid. She may be venal, but she's not stupid. And um, so she is fighting for her political life, which, frankly, is on life support. Anyway, that's one of the things that happened this week. Of course, on uh, Sunday morning, we lost Lynn Bramer. That was, of course, a huge shock for the people of Chicago. Um, we are getting ready for the new legislative session in Springfield. There is talk from a couple of legislators about resurrecting uh, changes to the state income tax to make it more fair. Changes, whether they're calling, they're not really calling it a graduated tax, but changes to the state income tax that kind of reflect what Governor Pritzker tried to do when he was first in office, which is tax the rich more, tax the middle class and the poor less. The fact that this was voted down when it was on the ballot shows you if you needed proof that people really don't pay attention. People, maybe you who listen to this station and really care about politics, maybe you paid attention. But the average person, you know, they see a few commercials. Um, remember Ken Griffin um, who saved millions when that folded, Ken Griffin, and even his JB's cousin, Penny Pritzker, 
They contributed millions to an ad campaign that was like, oh, don't vote for this. Your taxes will go up. It's not fair. The, the ads were, were just so full of lies, but they convinced enough people and the measure went down. Um, J.B. Pritzker was in Davos for the Economic Forum and he was asked about it there. And he's like, you know what? Um, been there, done that. I'm not going to try to resurrect it. But there are at least a couple of people in the state legislature who have said, you know, that, that has to change somehow. It's just it's not fair for somebody who makes, you know, fifty thousand dollars a year to pay the same state tax as somebody who makes fifty million dollars a year. That's not fair. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, and that's just a smattering of some of the news in addition to the mayoral forum that we want to get to. Uh, before we go to our first break, let's start. Um, let's go to the phone lines. Denise is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Denise, how are you today? Well, hello to you and um, my compliments to you and Santita and Patty. I think you all did an excellent job yesterday. Why, thank um, you. you. You asked the questions that I wanted answers to, but, you know, you kind of pressed for information and details, and I think that is so very important because um, the type of moderator that moderates the forum makes the difference in the amount of information that helps give people an indication of, do the candidates really have a clue? (laughs) Do they really have an understanding of what the job is and how to get things done? Well, Denise, I have um, to give credit where credit is due. Um, It was, there were a whole bunch of us who weighed in on what we should ask, how we should ask it, how to make sure the question was worded as carefully as possible to make mm-hmm. sure that we got an answer that was meaningful exactly. and not just giving a candidate exactly. um, an easy out. We um, exactly. we went over that a lot. There were that was kind of a, a committee thing that um, mm-hmm. those questions were put together, and I I think we all really cared. You know, we we know that the the candidates have gotten together before the candidates will get together again. So Mm -hmm. it didn't make any sense for us to do something that was just going to repeat something that had already been done. We wanted to move the conversation forward. We wanted to add to the information that people had about each individual candidate. And, And so they could get a better sense of who they should vote for. Yeah, and you did just that. So um, you guys were heads above any of the other moderators I've seen moderate the forums, whether automatic or mayoral so far. So I just well, want to point that out to you. Unfortunately, I know who I'm not going to vote for, but I still haven't made up my mind about who to vote for. So mm. that's where I am. I thought, frankly, um, a lot of the candidates really did themselves... Um, a lot of positive, um, they, they did themselves a lot of positive PR. I think that a lot mm-hmm. of the candidates answered some of the questions so well that even somebody you mm-hmm. might have been ready to write off, you were ready to then mm-hmm. give them a second look. Cause I thought some of the answers were, and we didn't share the questions with them ahead of time. I don't know if you could see, I know, I I, yeah, they were no, making I notes cause you know, uh, you know, they were, this was off the top of their head. And I thought mm-hmm. m- uh, most of them, spoke very informatively and eloquently. 
a matter of fact, um, Turi Ryder was interviewing, I think it was Pat Quinn when it was over. And he even said, he said, he said, I'm more confused than ever before about who to vote for. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think overall we've got some good choices, though. I think so, too. <clears throat> what would you say, Denise, is the biggest single issue that you care about? Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, I'm not af- with all that's going on with respect to crime. I'm not afraid in my home. I'm not afraid to go out. But taxes, fees and uh, the condition and status of our schools really concerns me because if we can educate our children, we can reach a lot of children as well as families through the schools and hopefully uh, nip some of the problems that we're having with young people in the streets in the bud. So that's where I am. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Denise. Um, We're going to take a break now. Appreciate the call, Denise. We are going to be back with more calls. Uh, today we're going to, um, we were, because there's so much going on and we have the debate and everything, we're going to continue to just talk, you and me, and take calls and read texts up until four o'clock today before we switch to talking to any candidates. So let's take a break. Let's get back to it right after this. Did you know you can text Joan at the same number you used to call us? 773-763-9278. Thanks to our texting sponsor, Camp Kupugani. Register today at multiculturalcamp.com. Text away. 773-763-9278. The Hal Sparks Radio Program. Mike Pillow said he's, and I quote, 93% sure he's going to run for head of the RNC. And wait for it. He asked people to chime in and say, do you want me to run? And he gave out a special email address for them to contact him. Guess what the email address is? Mike Lindell, RNC, at frankspeech.com. Hal Sparks, Saturdays from 11 to 1 on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday. Every Friday we open up the phone lines and talk about the news of the day and the news of the week and uh, your feelings about all of it. Let's go to the phone lines. Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hello, Jim. Hi, Joan. How are you? That ran like a Swiss watch yesterday. That was right on target. Beautiful. Well, thank uh, you. And uh, your trip to the gold fields out there, I hope, goes smoothly and you come back refreshed. (laughs) Not because you'll need it, because the way this is going. But nice sense of reality completely distorted over the last few years. I don't know if if you could take a litmus test, I'd take it. But I listen to Republican radio. I listen to the radio. They've come to work like a Marconi on the radio business. Anyway. I, my, when my nose stops bleeding, they go into the deep state. A third of their programming is about oh. the deep state. And there can't be anything more un-American. When you think about it, as an American in my early 70s, I can't think of anything more un-American than, than talking about a deep state. Now, we know there's deep states that exist all over the world. That, that you know, For centuries, there were deep states. But in America... There's never been a deep state, and there never there never will be a deep state. But the Republicans are going to beat that dead horse 
to what end, I have no idea. They just have to win elections fair and square like every other American that throws their yep. hat in the ring. And anyway, I hope you come back because you'll need it, John. It's like a cereal. It's like a running cereal of insanity. Anyway, you take care, John. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Jim. Uh, I will definitely do that. Um, let's go to the phones. Gregory is calling in from Rogers Park. Gregory, thanks for joining the conversation today. Good, madam. Good afternoon, madam. You can hear me okay, right? Yes, I can. Okay, great job moderating yesterday. It was very kind of you to let me come up and, and meet you. I'm the wheelchair taxi cab driver. and It I was, was delightful that you came to our forum and that you came up and said hello. I met, a, I met a couple of different listeners. It was great to see all of you in three dimensions in real life. <laughs> And uh, back at you, <laughs> the feeling is mutual. Why I wish I was so disappointed. Well, I expected it, but it's disappointing when the state of the driving culture is not addressed here. It is a broken window. It needs to be fixed. We want to set the atmosphere for the children growing up, and we want to have a world-class driver's education program, speaking of what we need in the public schools, to train the next generation to drive more properly. It's just this acting out and this unnecessary sloppy and aggressiveness mixed with the skillfulness that the drivers have here. It causes a quality of life issue and pedestrians cannot cross at the state crosswalks, which is state law. When you approach a crosswalk, even if there's no stop sign or traffic light, the motorists are supposed to yield to let them pass. You only see one pedestrian, if that, on any given trip that you take through the city. And I drive all day into the night, 359 days a year. I finished and left Chicago in 74 and ended up, I ended up uh, moving to West Africa and California. So I know there are places where it can be worse and there are places that it's better. And in the Western states, I think it may be because they had to be careful of coming across large mammals like moose and bison. They have this culture of seeing and yielding to large mammals like human beings when they present themselves in the road. We need to change the culture. People have been pining for this for Mm -hmm. decades and generations. Yes, Uh, and we need to make sure not only that transportation as a whole is effective and safe, but particularly public transportation is uh, effective and safe. And it, it just seems that since since the pandemic has has kind of waned, that our public transportation here has taken a real hit. So, um, Gregory, the work that you do is more important than ever. Um, what did you think of the forum? I thought it was very cordial, uh, although they sniped at each other, but that's a little bit of the entertaining part of it. But there was a, a, a warmth that kind of circulated amongst the nine candidates. So that communal vibe and in the crowd, you could just feel that good, warm Midwestern energy, that communal energy, because everybody wants the best for our world, our, our world-important wannabe world-class city. And until we get rid of these, these kind of problems, we're, we can't really call ourselves world-class. But we are a world-important city and arguably could be the world's most important city uh, with global warming, if the oceans rise, <laughs> I'm sorry to be so depressing. Yeah. But we're an extremely important place in the heart of North America. We have to refine our culture, and we 
need to address the little things as well as the larger things. All of us have a role to play in making. Did you um, did you come away feeling that there was one candidate that was the best, one candidate that for sure had your vote? I think my front runner is Brandon Johnson because he has the presentation of a school teacher, so he's got that motivating, communicative talent. He's got a progressive uh, agenda. He's, he's, he's going to be able to juggle all the details. I think Willie Wilson is a cultural candidate to raise the ele- and to try to elevate the, the, the state of the culture as a preacher businessman. But in terms of being a technocrat who's young enough to handle two or three terms to turn the city around, it would be Brandon Johnson. Ballas Interesting. Got that kind of experience, but he's a little up in age and, I don't know, maybe... I don't know. I left in 74, so I missed all of that history. I didn't get back to 2002, but Brandon Johnson looks like he's got natural talent. Jamal Green's got great talent for leadership, but I told him he should, if he doesn't get there as a young activist to the mayoral he should try running for alderman and establish himself there in Beverly, where he's based. And then, oh, we oh, definitely, oh, whether or not he moves forward in the mayoral race, we have definitely not heard the last of uh, Jamal Green. You know, he's obviously somebody who has a huge amount of energy and a huge amount of passion and a huge amount of talent. And a following. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you who you. Um, if you if you came away thinking there was somebody that you were ready to vote for, because I just got a, a text uh, from one of our listeners right now <clears throat> that, that says, thanks for the mayoral forum yesterday. To me, it's a no brainer. Brandon is the one for the job. Yes. Let's invest in our young people, more education, not more police. That's a uh, Jim uh, texting in from Pilsen. So you and Jim Gregory are on the same page here. Okay, thank you. Thank you, and thanks for the call, Gregory, and thanks for coming to the forum. You know, we had um, a lot of, yes, there were a lot of political types and aides and um, people from organizations at our debate. I believe Greg Pratt from the Tribune described us as a motley crew. The the audience was a motley bunch of people, which uh, sounds kind of negative, but I prefer to look at it as a positive that we had a real mixed crowd of regular folks and campaign people and organization people. Um but it was um that was great. Anytime that we do a, a public event, I really hope some of you will try to make it if uh, if you're in the area, because I just love shaking hands and being able to put a face to the voice when you call in. We're going to take a real quick break. And, you know, when we come back, I'm going to play a little bit of sound from Willie Wilson, and then we'll take more calls right after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. Your lawn drive home just got even easier. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now weeknights from 5 to 7 p.m. on WCPT820. Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Gregory uh, was just talking to us about his opinions and his reaction to our mayoral forum. And uh, he talked about 
Well, Gregory's involved in transportation. He talked about about that issue. And he talked about um, with some of the things uh, Dr. Willie Wilson was saying. Um, here is a clip from Dr. Willie Wilson talking about safety on public transit. Listen to this. We'll make sure that all citizens that come to the L or the bus, particularly the subway, that we have protection around them besides just saying police officer, uh, we use them versus the people that doesn't have a gun. You have to have people armed in order to protect his citizen, but you have to have them armed and, and in order that people can feel safe. I'm not going to walk down the street with someone that don't carry a gun and, and feel safe. You know, that don't make sense. If I see a police officer and they got a armed gun, I'm not going to be going up now in a certain neighborhood with that. You know, we would bring all that back and make sure people equipped to do it that way. Dr. Willie Wilson has been getting a lot of grief for his um, some of his statements where he said, you know, we've got to let police do their job without all these rules and regulations and they should be allowed to chase down a suspect, you know, like a rabbit Um you know, he is definitely um, the a very pro-police kind of candidate, um, and that appeals to some people. Uh, it's, his stances are a little bit strong for others, but he is what he is, and he's going to tell you. He, he even said, he said, I might say some things that are controversial, but you're going to know what I think, and you're going to know how I feel about things. And yes, and we did. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Debbie is calling in from Old Town. Debbie, so nice to hear from you. Hi, Joan. Oh, I, I wish I could have gotten up to you yesterday, but you had such a cluster around you that I, oh. I didn't want to jam my way in. Well, you, you should have. You were very popular afterward, and, and, and I did get to speak with... Um, Alderman King, and I did get to speak with Santina, and I have spoken with Patty. So I'm sorry I missed you, um, but it was you did an amazing job. I mean, you put on your reporter's hat and your, you know, <laughs> you, 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 just, you did it like so professionally. You knew exactly what to do and exactly how to do it, and boy, did you keep it. And yet you kept it light. You know, you weren't like hardcore about it. You know, you were very light about it. You know, you're just generous when time needed to be. Um, Well, thank you. I mean, I don't know if you noticed this. Ray um, was watching it on on our Facebook page, WCPT Facebook page. And he said, you know, I noticed that the mayor was kind of muttering or talking to herself. And I was like, no, she was talking to me. <laughs> like yeah. everybody who said anything she wanted to rebut, she was turning to me and she was sharing those thoughts with me. And yeah. um, she, was, she was trying to, she was trying to get you to, to <laughs> give her another minute or give her another answer. Yeah. You know? But yeah, you know, I don't blame, you know, as, as a moderator, you have to, you know, your job is to keep people to time, but 
you know, if somebody's in the middle of a sentence and their time runs out, I'm not going to cut them off. I'm going to let them, you know, if they finish that sentence and they then they start another sentence, well, then all bets are off. But I know that, like, say, first first in the first round of questioning, after Dr. Wilson answered the question and his time was up, then he immediately launched into pointing out that the Reverend Jesse Jackson was uh, was joining us at the forum and and talking about, you know, what a great guy he is and how he was so glad he was here today. And yes, that was after his time was up. And but I wasn't going to cut him off when he's saying, you know, isn't it great that the Reverend because it was great that the Reverend Jesse Jackson was there. And and let's let's acknowledge that. Um, I don't know if you saw, but, you know, he spoke, he was supposed to have like a minute 15 and then he launches into welcoming the reverend. So that was like another 30 seconds. And Mayor Lightfoot turned to me and she was shooting me daggers. Like, why are you letting him continue to talk? And I was like, seriously, uh, you do think I'm going to jump into this and insult right. the reverend Jesse Jackson? Are you insane? So as Absolutely. a moderator, you have to kind of. Uh, it isn't just a question of the time is up, you know, hit a hit a button. You have to be kind of thought, <laughs> thoughtful about it, so even you, if you make somebody you, mad. You treaded very lightly, and you were really good about that. But, yeah, no, I got that. And then he started again. He goes, well, wait, look at my time. And you said, no, that's going into the next time. <laughs> yeah, your time is actually so far over. Time. We have reset the clock for the next person. <laughs> And he was kind of like, oh, okay. I, I, was, I was extremely, extremely impressed what I found. What I thought I was going there to see were the eight, the eight team candidates. What I found myself extremely interested in were some of the people in the second tier and Brandon Johnson. I really, I thought um, Cam Buckner was terrific. I also thought that um, Sophia King, oh, my God, I didn't know about her, and she blew me away. She was so, she had wonderful things to say. I loved what she said about bringing police in. You know, she's she's done a lot of research into other cities, and Mm -hmm. she knows what she's talking about, and she she speaks from a really good level of experience and, 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 and research. And I loved what she had to say about bringing retired police in, you know, to do non-dangerous jobs. Like one of the things that really gets me is we can't call 911 and get any results unless it's like bleeding and and murder, you know, or shootings. Um, And I've tried a number of times. I can't get anybody. You know, they don't have the staff for it. So I I really, really liked some of the ideas that came outside of the box, you know, outside of the ideas of because everybody wants, you know, to fix crime. You know, everybody wants to fix schools, everybody. But the ideas that they had individually on how to do that, I think the second group had more insight and more um, more informative on how they were going to do some of these things. And and that's what really impressed me. And I hadn't heard from these candidates or even like knew much about them other than uh, Brandon Johnson. You know, so I was really in all all honesty. 
this this field of nine people, there is some incredible talent. You know, almost yeah. every time I was thinking to myself, <clears throat> you know, I could see where this person would be a good yeah. mayor. I could see you're you're absolutely right for the in the interest of trying to get more questions in. We split the candidates into two panels and the second like panel, um, the second panel was um, Cam Buckner and Alder person, Sophia King, Alderman Roderick Sawyer and Jamal Green. And, um, and I was impressed with all of them. They were all very. I thought yes. um, Jamal Green, I'd heard him on your show and I thought he was. You know, really, I think he's a little young for what he needs to do first. I think there's other things that he needs to do first. But I think down the road, he's going to be a terrific, terrific asset to our political scene here. And um, I think Alderman Sawyer is he's a really good alderman. And I think he needs we need him as an older person, whereas I see um uh, Sophia King, I see her moving up the ladder very, very well. I could, I could, I kept thinking, oh my God, if she was mayor, think of how she would be standing up there and speaking so articulately and not, mm-hmm. you know, not, and not contentious and not, you know, like Lori mm-hmm. Lutz was very contentious about things. She's always on the defense, you know. Well, you know, I thought it was particularly telling. She talked about how um, it seems like every major development in the city of Chicago is surrounded by controversy. And she said, in my ward, we redeveloped the whole site of Michael Reese Hospital. And it wasn't contentious. There wasn't controversy. There weren't protests. We all came together, those of us who felt it A and those of us who felt B, and we worked it out. And we got it done. And I thought to myself, you know, she's really right. I mean, we think of all the ones like, you know, um, like um, the Lincoln Yards and and the casino and all of the protests and the anger and the sound bites back and forth. And but she's really right. And you can see her being that kind of smart, down to earth, Mm -hmm. unemotional consensus builder. But yet compassionate. And, and, and hardworking and just sensitive to people as well. You know, mm-hmm. get the job done, but let's be sensitive to people. And and she was a real lady, too, you know, in spite of how, how powerful she seemed. She was a real lady, and I, I just, wow, she wowed me. She, she really, is. She really is wowed. very impressive. There are so many candidates and, and, running for mayor right now that are really, really impressive. I think we have um I think we have an embarrassment of riches in in this particular race. Hey, Debbie, we got to take a break. Thanks so much for the call. Um we're going to be right back with more after this. You're listening to WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. 
Thanks to Matt Cummings and Bedelia back at the studio. What uh, Debbie was talking about, remember I said, um, as a moderator, my job is to keep everybody to time, but I have to do it in a way that is sensible. I'm not going to cut somebody off in the middle of a sentence. I'm going to let them finish the sentence. And when Dr. Willie Wilson finished one of his answers, he immediately launched into a welcome and a thank you to the Reverend Jesse Jackson for coming to the forum, which I was not going to interrupt, despite the fact that Mayor Lori Lightfoot standing next to me was looking daggers at me, wondering why I was letting uh, Willie Wilson talk beyond his time. Um, and then um, the Reverend uh, Willie Wilson got kind of, he looked down and he saw a minute 15 and he kept going and I kind of had to I said, no, you know, and he was like, wait a minute, I still got time. And I was like, no, you don't. Actually, Matt and Bedelia found that. So let's play it now. But when, when crime and something like city of Chicago, when people are scared to go out their home, carjacks, kids can't play into the uh, community. You, you, you need to hunt everybody down that commit these crime without them just walking around to commit a crime to someone else. I, I'm unrest and I'm disturbed about it. Dr. Wilson, I'm going to have to cut you off there. You didn't give me my time. Uh, yeah, that's actually reset for the next person to talk. We already went past zero. You, you put the time right here? Right, okay. Okay. Yes, moderator fun. Moderator fun. <clears throat> and um, actually when, just a little, because you're with me today, you get the inside story. Um as uh, Dr. Wilson was finishing up his answer right then, I was looking down at my script, um, looking at the, n- the next question and where we were going. And he actually, like I said, hit zero and went beyond it. And M- Mayor Lightfoot leaned over to me and she went, time! And I was like, and I looked up and I was like, okay, all right, here we go. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting, there was lots of, Fun on stage and lots of fun behind the scenes. Let's go back to the phone lines. Let's see. Uh, Brian is calling in from Joliet. Brian, how are you today? Well, a little under the weather, but thank you, Joan. Oh, Hope I'm sorry. Well. And uh thought you did a super job along with Shantita and uh, Patty. And uh, Turi holding down the fort back at the studio did too uh, yesterday. And... Uh, uh, I have to say, uh, last night I was watching uh, uh, Tucker Carlson and... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, pardon? Tucker Carlson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sorry and, that you uh, spent Lily your time Wilson doing that. was on there, and uh, uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, they did an interview, and Tucker Carlson uh, called to him... Uh, our candidate for mayor of Chicago, and I don't think you would ever see a Brandon Johnson except Fox News's endorsement for mayor. Wow. Uh, Brandon Johnson, I think, uh, uh, understands. Tucker Carlson that, essentially endorsed Dr. Willie Wilson for mayor of the city of Chicago? Tucker Carlson said, and I quote, that... Uh, Wilson is our candidate for mayor of Chicago last night. I saw it and heard it. Wow. 
And well. uh, I, I, I think uh, Brandon Johnson uh, did an excellent job. I think he should be the mayor, and uh, he understands uh, that more trigger-happy policing ain't going to solve the crime problem. He understands the underlying economic conditions, uh, that poverty leads to a loss of community, which leads to more crime. And I want to recommend to you, if you ever get a chance to see it, a PBS documentary called Corporate Welfare, Where's the Outrage? That's Corporate Welfare, Where's the Outrage? And uh, that about uh, 25 minutes of that deal specifically with Chicago. I think you'd find it very relevant. Yeah, I will uh, take a look. I'll look for that. But that's all I have to say, and thank you for taking my call, Well, Joe. thank you for, for calling in. Uh, that is the uh, third person to discuss with me their being impressed by and thinking Brandon Johnson would make a good mayor, though I do have to tell you that I got an email from Jody and it said, you know, your listeners aren't being realistic. Chicago is such a large city. You need somebody with age and experience to handle such a large position. So that person thinking that maybe Brandon is a little a little to too right young. Now. Please leave a message. Thank you. Um, Lady B, what was that? I don't know. Okay. Somebody is breaking. My God, it's like the mayoral debate. Somebody is like talking when they shouldn't be talking. Okay. Lady B, you're the moderator. You, you on that end, you make it stop. I, I did did my job yesterday as best I could. Uh, so let's go back to the phone lines. Mario is calling in from Berwyn. Hey, Mario, how are you? Oh, okay. Well, then, let's go to Ron from Chicago. Is he there? Yes. Uh, Kelly McCarthy and the Republicans, uh, not only do they want to repeal the Social Security and Medicaid, now they want to uh, get rid of the internal revenue service and have a 30% tax on every purchase. And uh, have, uh, have they considered at all how many... Uh, Hundreds of thousands of people will be unemployed, not only not only in the uh, employees in the Internal Revenue Service, but also in the accountants. They, they don't care about that. They don't care about low-income and middle-income people. That plan, that fair tax plan that, you know, they voted on it, but it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. It's certainly not going to get signed by the president. What they want to do is stop, get rid of a whole bunch of taxes, and everybody will just pay 30% sales tax. Well, if you really look at how that's going to shake out, that is typical of what the Republicans do. It is essentially going to be a huge tax break. For the Ken Griffins and the Penny Pritzkers of the world and the Jeff Bezos of the world and the Elon Musks of the world, they are just going to get richer and richer and richer if they don't have to pay state tax or income tax like they do now. And what does that mean for you? Something that you've been buying, that you've been paying $10 for? Well, if this were actually put in place, you would walk into the store the next day and that same item would now be would now be $13.33 based on this tax. It would be onerous. It would drive so many people into poverty. It is just absurd. And um it, luckily it has no chance of becoming law. That's the only that's the only good news here. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. 
Um, let's go back to the phone lines, and Bob is calling. Hey, Bob, how are you today? Yeah, I'm calling you from San Jose, California. And you go, what? <laughs> I, I, I'm a broadcaster, I'm a broadcast engineer. I started out in the front of the microphone playing records at an AM radio station, did that for two years, and ended up uh, as in the classic way getting the call as I was about to go out the door after signing the station off at midnight, uh, saying, turn in your keys and pick up your check, and that's how you know you don't have a job anymore. Yeah. But I, uh, but the chief engineer of the station, who was a contract engineer, hired me on the spot. I won't go into the technical reason why, but I ended up two weeks later wiring a new studio for that same little AM radio station. <laughs> and the general manager who fired me walks in and says, "What are you doing here?" And and I said, "Wiring your new studio for you, Irving. What's it look like?" And his jaw couldn't have fallen further open, and I and I continued to do the job of wiring a new studio, which I'm also pretty good at, and I've been staying as a broadcast engineer ever since. My my reason for calling you guys is to comment. I know that on radio, you can see a thing. If you walk into a room, it looks like a side by side refrigerator freezer. And that's the radio station, and it's really a jukebox, and it's playing country and western or or classic oldies or something 24-7. And you say, where's the radio station? Well, no, you're looking at it. It's all it's all recorded and all stored in disk drives and stuff. But that's entertainment radio. And there's, believe it or not, television stations that work that way, too. Um but then you can do a little bit more with a radio station or a television station. It's educate people. And that's something that I want I want to underline. You guys did a great job of that yesterday. Because how do people get to know about the candidates? Well, they get mail stuffed stuffed in their mailboxes. They get they get ads thrown on thrown at them on radio and television. But the spontaneity that happened yesterday was a whole lot more informative. You know, I know you managed to get them off their scripts a couple times, <laughs> which was which was the purpose of it. It was to educate people. And I want to say WCPT gets a gold star for this because you guys actually did it. It was risky, and I would, and I would be the first one to say, boy, I had my fingers crossed that there were going to be no technical glitches that, that would, you know, distort mm-hmm. everything. And everything went smoothly. So the the team behind the curtain did a great job. You know, they did indeed. Every, everybody's microphone was clear. Nobody was muffled. They, they, you know, the, and, and I think there was one time somebody came up talking and their mic wasn't live. But that was very quickly remedied. And, and that was the first and last that I was able to catch. It was really, other than that, it was really good. And you guys get a gold star for this. I, I personally think if there were Oscars or Emmys or the equivalent, you guys should earn one for that. Now, are there other stations in Chicago that could do it? Of course. But would they? Do they have the nerve? Or do they or do they stick with uh, all sports all the time? Or mm. or, or or all you know or all all flame throwing. You know, let me go step back a little bit. About 20 years ago, roughly, maybe a little further back than that, 
was when Fox News hit cable. And people have to understand that the, in the television world, there's two sets of rules. There's the over-the-air rules, and there's the through-the-cable rules, and they're different. Though when people change their channel with their zapper and they have cable, they don't see that there's two different sets of rules there. But the ones that have over-the-air at that time had to do a public service every once in a while, whereas the ones that were on purely cable didn't. And um, and Fox News was the classic, we're on cable, we can get away with murder. And they switched to all opinion all the time. So that's what people that's one of the things that drives me crazy is the fact that people don't understand um, that Fox isn't like a regular news program giving them the truth. And the only time Fox is forced to admit it is when one of their anchors has to testify in a trial. And we've heard this from Sean Hannity. Um, Well, you know, what I do isn't news. It's entertainment. And unless you unless they're under oath and they have potential consequences hanging over their head, they don't want people to figure that out. But, Bob, we're going to have to break for news here pretty quick. But thank you so much. We are um, a small station and literally everyone who works at the station contributed to what we did yesterday. We pulled off something that was bigger than uh, we had any right to even attempt, and I agree with you. I think it that that we pulled it off well, and it is such a nice compliment for somebody in the business to understand the undertaking that uh, we did yesterday downtown and to compliment us on, on pulling it off. So uh, thank you, Bob. We are now going to uh, break for news, but we're going to continue this discussion about the mayoral forum and the other news of this day and this week for another hour right after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. The Tom Hartman Radio Program provides all of the intelligence, information, and insight you'll need to win the water cooler wars. Weekdays 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820. Chicago's progressive talk where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. I'm telling you, CPT 820. I'm Joan Esposito. It is Friday, January 27th, and on Fridays, we spend some time talking about the news of the day. I'm extending the segment because we've, <clears throat> in addition to the news of the day, we had a bang-up mayoral forum Uh, On the radio yesterday, we are talking about all of it. So we're going to keep doing this till four o'clock. Lady B, do we still have Dave on the phone lines? Let's go to Dave from Hoffman Estates. Hey, Dave, how are you? Hey, Joan. Obviously, the city of Chicago mayor doesn't really pertain to me, but uh, I truly enjoyed how you girls, ladies, had uh, took control of it. Were, well, we like tried. Sometimes I felt like I was trying to herd cats, but we tried. <laughs> I mean, you guys didn't let the inmates run the asylum. <laughs> oh, I mean, like, uh, I don't know if you had kill buttons for the other ones, like when somebody was talking, but I mean, you couldn't hear them really uh, break in too much or anything like that. And uh, and then like uh, one you played where you 
kind of put Dr. Wilson in his place about, you know, when he rambled on about whatever else that yet used up your time, you know. And speaking of which, um, he's talking about putting more police and that, you know, with the guns and whatnot on to what, the L's and the buses and that. And where does he plan to get the, the more police? I believe that the way it is now, the Chicago police is kind of understaffed. And then, yeah. It, it Depending upon who you talk to, we're either 1,600 or 1,700 officers down, more than expected because of either people going to other departments or retiring. Um, yeah, um, that was there were a few times when it, even we tried to make the questions as specific as possible so that we would get meaningful answers. But a lot of times, I don't know if you noticed this, when we would say, well, what about this and how would you pay for it? A lot of times they spent a lot of time on the what about this, but not so much time on the how they would pay for it. Yeah, because I'm not getting the more police. And I remember, you recall, remember when Rom was going to put another 500 or so on the street, but he didn't realize at the same time 500 were retiring. So it was basically just a shell game. Yeah. You weren't adding more. You were just replacing those that retired. And then, uh, or does uh, maybe Willie Wilson ought to get in touch with former CPT host Teal Hardiman and pay those uh, crime interrupters he used to talk about he had. Remember him? When the, yeah. He, um, well, you know, I do think that there for there is an increase in the new budget for the money allotted for violence interrupters. Violence interrupters are people, usually people who've grown up in a neighborhood, oftentimes they spent times uh, in gangs themselves, and they realize that that's just simply not a viable way for young people to grow up. And because they live in the neighborhoods and because they know everybody and they're respected, when when things really start to heat up and it appears that, you know, it could erupt into gunfire or something like that, these are the folks that get out there and they talk to the people, you know, they talk to the people who are, you know, in a conflict or really getting angry. And they they try to do exactly what the word says. They try to interrupt the the series of events that would lead at the end to to gun violence. I think there's a little more money for them. I, I don't hold me to exactly how much. Um, but I believe that there is a, a budget increase for that kind of thing. They should. I mean, people, are, they are figuratively putting their life on the line in a sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of doing like the what, guardian angel type stuff. And uh, lastly, so you guys, I liked on the one when, um, I don't know which candidate it was, perhaps you can recall, but when the one tried to slam Paul Ballas saying that when he was in Philadelphia, the that their mayor was so glad that when he left. Yeah, that was Mayor Lightfoot. She went after Paul Vallis and said, you know, ah, okay. you, you're you so proud of your record in Philadelphia. Well, I talked to the mayor there, and, and he couldn't be, he was really happy to see you go. And Paul was like, well, he, he she was like, it was Mayor Smith. And Paul was like, well, actually, it wasn't Mayor Smith. It was, it was Mayor Johnson that I worked under. So there's that, you know. Yeah, he it gave up, you know, offered her a plate full of crow on that one that obviously didn't have her facts quite right on that. So I, and then there was a, uh, what is another town that he went to and that he said he had got high praise, you know, so it was yeah. or other that she was spreading the wrong facts. But anyway, yeah, I enjoyed how you guys kept the, 
kept them in line, you know. Well, thank you. Uh, there was a there was one again. This is kind of because we're all together today. A little bit of behind the scenes um, early on in the debate. I don't know if uh, if listening or watching how much of it you were able to catch, but. I had to tell the mayor because she literally wanted to rebut everything that everybody was saying. And I said, you know, the rules are that if you're called out by name specifically, you get to rebut. But if people are criticizing the city of Chicago, that is not something that you get to rebut. And she was very frustrated about that. Didn't they used to call that constructive criticism? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I guess you can't blame her for trying, huh? Yeah, yeah. Or if they go interrupt like that, then I guess mm-hmm. you just reduce the amount of time they got when it's their time. Exactly. So, right. well, good. I enjoyed thank it. you, Dave. All right, be okay. well. And um, this isn't exactly what uh, Dave was referencing, but it was quite possibly the most chaotic portion uh, because, you know, I'm not only going to show you the stuff where I look good, but the stuff where it got a little out of hand. Uh, This is um, Congressman Garcia, Mayor Lightfoot, me, and uh, Commissioner uh, Brandon, or seat, um, yes, he's a Cook County Commissioner, as well as his work for the CTU, uh, Commissioner Brandon Johnson, ostensibly talking about public safety. Uh, You're going to hear, I think, uh, Congressman Garcia first talking about David Brown and then the mayor. Anyway, just listen to this. I recognize the need for new leadership, and there will be new leadership. Superintendent Brown will go. It's been a failure. Everyone in Chicago knows that. People around him know that. That's why they don't follow him. Some people want to keep him around. I don't. The other difference is implementation of the consent decree. The consent decree is the law. It is the roadmap for moving Chicago forward, for modernizing our police force, for ensuring community policing, constitutional policing, and joining other cities that have modernized their police departments and have transparency and accountability. Congressman Garcia, your time is up. Commissioner uh, Johnson. I, I would I would like to actually respond since he criticized. I did not specific. I did not invoke the any name. I did not I did not percent compliance. I did not I did not invoke any names. Maybe you and, missed and this that is another we in the back room okay. committing c- cutting deals with Mike Madigan. Eighty percent this is further ahead with the moderators. Thank other you. I, I, who's moderating here? I'm we love a spirited, <laughs> passionate give and take here, especially between allies <laughs> at WCPT. <laughs> oh my. What I was thinking at that moment in time, I almost looked at the audience and said, well, now we have the soundbite for the television stations. That's what you can see on the local news later tonight. But I didn't I didn't poke those TV stations, though I knew that that would be a big part of what they would air. We're going to take a break. We are talking about the mayoral forum. We are talking about the news of the day, the news of the week. We're going to continue to take your calls and we'll be back right after this. Stay on top of the latest news in and around Chicago with Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. Hi, this is Patty Vasquez. I am honored to have hosted Driving It Home for the last year, but it seems like we never have enough time to talk, and since I've been doing the traffic reports, I realize how long it actually takes to drive it home. 
So as we head into the holiday season, I want to spend more time with you, and we've decided to add an hour to the show every day. Thanks to my sponsors, Kids Above All, European and U.S. Auto Body, and Monaco Brewing for making this all possible, and of course, my WCPT family, and I couldn't do this without you. So tune in every day, 5 to 7 p.m., Monday through Friday. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Hi, we are talking about the news of the day, the news of the week. We're going to continue taking calls and uh, talking with you and uh, taking your texts until 4 o'clock today. Then we're going to talk to uh, one of the candidates running for uh, one of the aldermanic seats uh, we have been talking mostly about the Chicago Mayoral Forum that WCPT hosted yesterday. I believe there is still a link available on our Facebook page if you weren't available there to watch it in real time. Um, it was, it was so satisfying. I was so proud of the work we did and I think it was valuable. It was really valuable. The candidates for all of their posturing and sniping, they really gave, I think, the listeners and the viewers a real sense of who they are and what they believe in and what they want to do. I think it was as the goal was to move the conversation forward, not to retread old ground. And I feel pretty good that we did indeed do that. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Steve is calling in from the Gold Coast. Hey, Steve, how are you? Fine, thank you. I want to make a couple of points. Um, one, with regard to the violence interrupters, we sort of need to make a distinction. I think the previous caller was referring to an initiative which would basically deputize citizens and put them on places, uh, put them in places such as mass transit and other places, and we would be paying a salary for them, which of course, you know, begs the question of exactly what that would mean in the event that something would happen, because uh, if they were to harm someone or they were to kill someone, if we're paying their salary, that means we're going to be held responsible as taxpayers because we've essentially deputized people with no training. And so uh, it, it, it's a rather strange request or proposition on the part of people like Teal Hardiman. So give me a huge grant, and I'll pay a bunch of people with no policing training to go out and do police work, while we're at the same time arguing that veteran police officers need to be retrained. So uh, it's it's a bit it's a bit peculiar. So again, this differs from going into neighborhoods in terms of what you were referring to and talking to people in order to prevent violence. These are people who would actually be engaged in policing, uh, quasi policing. So I, I I find it very problematic, and I don't think that it would work. Secondly, um, the budget with regard to what we're paying in overtime, especially with the new police contract means that essentially you could hire thousands of new officers and it would come out to about the same if everybody was working eight hours a day and getting uh, the time off that they were supposed to. But under the new contract, we're paying a lot of people a lot of money. I mean, I know police officers out there making $150,000, $200,000 a year uh, in the past couple of years because of the amount of time they're working. They're not happy about it, but they are mm-hmm. making a lot of money. So, uh, so you literally are paying enough in overtime to hire a lot more people. And one of the stopgap measures is to rehire retired officers because they're, you know, because of the way that the police function. You know, there are people in their 40s who are retired in their early 50s who could get out there. We're not asking you to chase down the bad guys on the street, but they can do investigations and, and conduct all sorts of other police work, freeing up more manpower to be out there. 
out on the street. So that, yeah, there's that, a lot of. I thought I thought we heard yeah. a lot of different ideas about you know getting officers out um, on the street. You know, there's there are some things that officers have to do. Like one example, one of the candidates offered was, you know, if somebody steals your car um, and you need to file a police report, rather than sending an officer there, which is basically just to collect information and fill out paperwork, that there might be um, a civilian branch that could do a task like that, freeing up officers to actually uh, concentrate on crime. And and I've heard lots of really good ideas from the candidates. Oh, yeah. And for people who don't know it, I mean, if a police officer makes a minor arrest, I mean, let's talk about something like a, a minor retail theft, something worth $20. That means two officers have to then take a uh, suspect into custody, take them to the local police station and spend hours doing paperwork Mm -hmm. uh, before they can get back out onto the street for something that was worth $20. Now, you know, uh, that means that we have paid how much money in terms of resources to to have those two individuals occupied with that small crime that they could be out there doing other things. And, And police, to be clear, the most effective use of police is as a deterrent. When you actually look at the research, it's not the, the police, you know, unlike in the movies or TV, are stopping the bad guys as they're committing the crime. Let's face it, police arrive after the crime uh, 99 times out of 100. But what they can do, according to the research, is they deter crime. Because when the bad guys see a police officer or a squad car patrolling the neighborhood on the corner near businesses, they're less likely to, to, to engage in crime because they fear being caught at that point. So that's And, you know, Steve, that's one of the things. I know you live downtown, but um, I've... I'm just north of the city, and when I was downtown a couple of days for my, to do my show and the and the forum, I noticed a, a much beefier police presence. You know, at one point I looked around and and I said to my son, uh, we as we walked out of a, a restaurant Wednesday night, I was like, "Do you think there's something happening?" Because there were like two cars over here, there was one car over there, and he lives in the city, and he said, "You know, it's it's probably just." Making a statement, you know, that we're here, so don't oh, yeah. try anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, after the unrest in 2020, I mean, you know, the restaurant started to open up and went to get people out. And I, I'm, because this is my neighborhood, we went out to eat. And I'm like, why is there a squad car with their lights on on every corner downtown? Mm-hmm. And that's what, the, that's what they were attempting to do, to make the statement that this is safe. Come in from the suburbs, travel to Chicago, local residents come out of your homes and spend your money. Uh, the, the statement is that we're here to protect you. And you would have had to have been insane to try and commit a crime in that environment. But obviously, you can't sustain that level of policing. And, and, and part of the problem here is that communities where the crime is highest, they want police. And, of course, downtown wants police. Everyone wants police, but we don't exactly. have to give everybody what they want. So we're between a rock and a hard place, at least for a while. Anyone who tells you that they're going to solve our criminal justice issues overnight, no, the personnel don't exist. The funding doesn't exist to do it overnight. If you gave the city of Chicago a billion dollars, we still couldn't solve it because, again, it takes time to put trained, experienced officers mm-hmm. on the street. And- exactly. And, you know, um, a long, long time ago, when local school councils were voting on this, Paul Vallis and I had a discussion about whether or not police belonged in the schools. And, you know, there's two different takes on that. There's the schools where the police are really abused and they're used as truant officers and they're used as disciplinarians if a student misbehaves. And 
Um, and then there are there's the other argument that, you know, if a police officer is there, there's much less likely to be uh, a mass shooting or ex- with the exception of Uvalde. If there's a cop there and somebody does start shooting a gun, you've got somebody close to the scene to to intervene. And he said something that I thought was really interesting. He said that he believed that there was a value to police on school property, but but not just any cop, any time that this had to be like a special force with special training. They had to exhibit the kind of temperament necessary to be around potentially unruly teenagers. And they had to they had to be clear on what they were there to do and to not do. And, you know, that's. It's just this. That's what you're saying. Guys, do it smart. If you're going to do it, do it smart. And that's an excellent point because when the discussion was going on in the wake of 2020 and the role of policing, you know, you know schools were discussing this whether or not those officers should be mm-hmm. there. It's easy to say, okay, we don't need the officer at Lane Tech. Well, you know what? People kill themselves to get into Lane Tech. No one's forcing you to go there, so the the need for a police officer there is pretty low given the kind of student body they have. But there are places, because of the policies we put in place in Chicago and other large cities, where we're holding parents accountable. Parents who are sometimes not very good parents, but we say to them, if your child belongs in school and they're not in school, we're going to hold you responsible under, under criminal statutes. So we're sending some terrible people, like children, if you want to call them that, because in many cases they're, they're adults in terms of the crimes they're committing. We're sending them into schools with other kids, good kids, because their parents don't want to go to jail. So they're forcing them to go to school and saying, you know what, get your butt to school because um, I don't want to get in trouble. And then you've got a thug or thugs in the schools with good kids, and then your people are going to tell me that we don't need a police officer. Yes, sometimes we do, because you can't have both policies in place. Because if you're forcing these these kids into these schools when uh, the other half, half of the other time they might be out carjacking somebody, then you're going to need a police officer there to police them. So it's one or the other. I mean, we've got to accept this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you, Steve. Uh, appreciate the phone call. Um, let's go back to the phone lines. Roosevelt is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Roosevelt, I didn't see you at the forum yesterday. Did we just get uh, too... Uh, Separated too many people between us? Joan, thank you for taking my call. Have a good weekend. Enjoy yourself. And I have a confession to make. We were uh, on the same table where you were at, but I didn't want to disturb you. You were in a deep conversation on the phone (laughs) while you were So I told my son, uh, there's Joan Esposito. And I took my son, my 16-year-old son, which will be 17 next Thursday, uh, I believe he was the youngest there at the event. But anyway, we were right there. And I wanted to say something, and I really wanted to say hi, but you were in, on the phone. I didn't want to disturb you. Well, I didn't know uh, you next time, disturb me. Yeah, well, that's what I figured. But I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to make myself important in, in that instance. Uh, but anyway, um, I really enjoyed it. I really wanted to uh, compliment you guys. And to, I want to give some specifics on what I mean. I want to compliment you specifically when you brought out that question to the two candidates, Paul Vallis and Willie Wilson, about John Kenneth's era connection with Paul Vallis, and he avo- avoided the question. He went, he danced around that, in my opinion, 
And, and was it just me or was Willie Wilson avoiding every single question? Everything was the same answer. <clears throat> it was just me. Did I, and my dad, and my dad, dad I, I am against Willie Wilson for a lot of things. And, and, and that's another question that I want to compliment you guys. Santita Jackson went ahead and said exactly what he said when he referred to people as rabbits. And he danced around just like Paul Dallas, and he didn't answer the question. He went back to security and more police. And everything he answered was more police. Uh, to me, that's what it seemed, or, or security for that matter. It looked like some of these candidates were just their talking points. They were stuck to it, and they were going to say it. And I, I, to me, the person that is the best for that job is Brandon Johnson. He didn't avoid one single question, and I, if I'm mistaken, and he directly brought up the fact of opening up centers for mentally people that, are, that suffer of mentally illnesses. And no other candidate said that. And that's where a lot of these arrests are. They arrest a lot of these people, and, and that's not the answer of arresting them or, or they, 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 they cause more. Well, sometimes a candidate comes to a forum like this, and they don't really care about the questions. They just want there's a message they want to get out and i agree with you uh dr willie wilson didn't precisely answer the questions as they were asked um and uh he just pretty much told us what he wanted us to know and uh, what he was thinking um uh, roosevelt we are we are in a commercial break actually right now we've got to wrap this up thank you for the call we are going to be back with more right after this Facebook. Message us. Instagram. Follow us. Twitter. Tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT 820. New information. Explosive new information. It's how every day starts. Need for information. Get the info you need from Santita Jackson. Weekday morning starting at 6 on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We are continuing to talk about the news of the day, the news of the week, though. Most of what we're talking about is the WCPT mayoral forum that we put on yesterday, where we had all nine candidates for mayor asking as many pertinent questions as we could get uh, into our allotted time. I think was some real meaningful conversation. Yeah, was some a little bit of you know snipe and snark, but for the most part, I think it was really valuable. Um, Frank is calling in from Willowbrook. Hey, Frank, did you get a chance to see the forum? Hello, thank you for having me. Um, I I did watch it. Uh, you moderated really well. Um, I the look uh or um I have a couple of things. So Paul Vallis, uh of course I'm not a Chicago voter, but I would trust him the most out of uh the other candidates. He just Just out of uh, curiosity, what is it about him that appeals to you? He, he's he seems a little more pro police than the other other candidates. He's had more experience. Uh he's the school superintendent. <laughs> oh, excuse me, I had a cough. Um and then he he seemed to be the only, only and you look and listen to him and you feel like you can take him seriously. Uh, where, whereas uh, Mayor Lightfoot, she doesn't have that. 
she's she's terrible. And Brandon Johnson uh, seems like a nice guy, but he doesn't have me there. But uh, and uh, my my main concern about Chicago is uh, if I drive in and and I want to do something in Chicago, it's it's safety. And uh, yeah, there is a lack of cops, but. Who wants to, and, and I see this with Mayor Lightfoot, who wants to be a cop in Chicago when you don't have a mayor who has your back? And that's, I think, the, the other problem. The <clears throat> Mayor Lightfoot has had a contentious relationship with the police force um, pretty much her entire time as mayor. And I don't think that that has been eased with uh, her choice of David Brown as police superintendent. He uh, doesn't seem to be somebody who has been wildly embraced by the rank and file either, which I'm sure uh, doesn't help things one way or the other. Um, But I think, uh, go ahead. Oh, um, I'm sorry. And my other problem with Lightfoot is her pride. She, I remember a long time ago when there, well, a couple of years ago when there were those riots in Chicago and, and I, I don't like Donald Trump either, but he offered help to bring in national guard. And she said, no, 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 because of her pride. And she took her pride and her ego over the safety of the citizens of Chicago. She is dangerous. She is terrible. Well, whether or not you like Lori Lightfoot, I'm not sure she was wrong in that particular instance because I got the sense that it was kind of a PR stunt on the, because there was, it wasn't like there were riots in the streets, um, like with the 1968 Democratic Convention. I kind of think that Donald Trump made that offer to kind of rub a a liberal city's nose in the fact that it wasn't necessarily doing a bang-up job on safety. I I think there was a lot of context and subtext uh, right then and there. I mean, I think there's a lot of things to complain about with most elected officials, including the mayor. Um, But I think that sometimes there's more than meets the eye when something's going on. Anyway, Frank, thank you so much for calling. I don't get a lot of calls from Willowbrook, and I hope you're going to break the dam. And suddenly we're going to get tons of calls from Willowbrook. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, I want to share Matt was able to find um, the clip. Um, Roosevelt said that he didn't really feel that. Paul Vallis answered the question about his relationship with John Catanzara. So we pulled the clip so we can all listen to it for ourselves right now. Listen to this. Mr. Vallis, you've accepted the endorsement of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police. Their president, John Catanzara, is a Donald Trump supporter who defended the January 6th riots and compared Mayor Lightfoot's vaccine mandate for city employees to the Holocaust. What is your relationship with John Catanzara, and do you agree with him? Well, first of all, I don't agree with him. And secondly, I was invited by the FOP to come in um, and also really clearing it with the mayor's negotiating team. Jim Francis, I had negotiated city contracts with for decades. He was delighted to have me on board. I did the work for free because it was clear that after five years, in effect, 
Had they not gotten the contract, an additional 2,500 police officers probably would have left, and then imagine where we would be. But let me tell you, when we negotiated this eight-year contract, it included all the accountability provisions that the public was demanding that were negotiated and approved by the city council in the sergeant's contract. So from day one, I said we're not going to have a contract without full accountability. I think I've demonstrated by being able to negotiate with the FOP as well as being able to negotiate with teacher unions in four different cities without ever having a strike and with always awarding pay raises and compensation and pay increases that I can basically negotiate with just about anybody. You're not going to have real police reform unless you get cooperation from the FOP, just as you're not going to have real school reform unless you have negotiation and unless you demonstrate respect with the Chicago Teachers Union. And I have demonstrated that type of negotiating skills in the past, and I'll do it in the future. So, uh, Roosevelt, he said it very quickly. Um, he said, I don't agree with John Catanzara. And then he went on to to talk further. Let's go back to the phone lines. Jerry's calling in from uh, Richmond Park. Hey, Jerry, how are you? Hi, how you doing, John? Good. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, watch the phone. And I, I, uh, and I hear, you know, the talk with uh, Paul Valens. Paul Valens, is, 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 he does double talk. You know, if he taking if he taking uh, endorsements from people like that president from the police uh, uh, union, I got problems with that. I got big problems with that. Um, with Lori Lightfoot, I campaigned against Lori Lightfoot the first time around. Um, she, she did a decent job, but she didn't do any worse than Rahm Emanuel and people like that. And the best person to me is Justin in that whole group of people that's running for office. Tell me yeah. what you like about Brandon Johnson. He, when he speaks, he's not trying to. He's not trying to be slick. He's not trying to be. He's just being honest with his answers. When when they when you know when people ask questions, he just give us just a straight answer. And I've seen too much of Ballas. I've seen too much of. Um, Chewy, uh, yeah, Chewy is a good friend of mine, and uh, and of course uh, uh, Willie Wilson. You know, I don't know where his head is, but anyway, that's what I see in this. I see in this that only only genuine person, and, and I don't. I did a little. Uh, I did a little uh, background on on Johnson. Only genuine person that this whole thing to me is Johnson. Interesting. Um, thanks for calling and sharing your take on things. It's always sometimes, you know, you're a part of something and it's hard to get a grip on how it is being perceived by the larger audience. And it is, uh, Jerry, it's really worthwhile for me to get those kinds of comments from people. I really appreciate that. Uh, we're going to uh, take a break. We're going to be back with more calls and more talk right after this. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. Friday, we always spend time talking about the news of the day and uh, reading your texts and taking your calls. So let's get back to it. Let's go back to the phone lines. Paul is calling in from Seattle. Hey, Paul. 
Oh, hey, Joe. Uh, can I? Uh, it's not what I call about, but can I chime in just about the uh, Paul Vallis answer there? Um, sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I I like Paul Vallis. I I don't agree with him. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's more or less than fifty percent of the time, but it's right around fifty <laughs> percent of the time. But uh, yeah, I have some problems with him, and then some pro- some things I like about. Him. But uh, my assessment of his of his response was excellent interviewing skills. But interviewing skills and forum presentation are different. So what he did was he answered the question quickly, and then he turned the question to the advantage of that he wanted to talk about. Now, that's great in an interview when you know what your interview is looking for, but maybe not so great in a uh, town meeting type forum uh, when people are, you know, it's, it's not as quick a, of a dynamic. So uh, that's what I would say about Paul <laughs> Bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did answer the question. But then he turned immediately to his talking uh, points. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I just don't know how the uh, sorry, terrible segue, but I, I don't know how uh, the New York Times story uh, about Donald Trump, William Barr and the, all of this uh, John Durham investigation. Yeah. This is just our government, wait a minute, what are we saying? We don't want to be taken over by fascists. It was taken over by fascists. It, it absolutely was. was. And I think, I I don't know that this will ever happen. I certainly don't think Merrick Garland is the person to do it. But I would love to see Bill Barr charged with something. I would like to see him investigated. Bill Barr did a, almost as much damage as Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, that's what... That that's Bill Barr became, and I don't know why, uh, you know, kind of a, a plunge sixty nine year old uh, would want to just say, I think I'll ruin my life to for the sake of some punk. Uh, Bill Barr has got plenty of money. He's a you know he's a he's a a, a, a very skilled lawyer. He's, he's there's nothing wrong with his skills. It's it and, and nothing wrong with his apparent you know his his history of his morality or his beliefs necessarily, but his uh, practice of his ethics uh, is just uh, um, unbelievably bad. And so he, he just, he casts such a very bad light on the positive things about him uh, that it, it's hard to take any of it seriously. Uh, so in other words, his apologists would really, they would fall on deaf ears at this point to me. I would say, no, if you, if you're all the things that, the great things that you that Bill, you think Bill Barr is, none of this should have ever happened. Just, yeah, and and just to, for those know. of you who don't know what we're talking about, the New York Times did a um, explosive story about you know John Durham was brought in by Bill Barr. Bill Barr didn't like the whole Mueller report. He didn't like the whole investigation of the connections between Donald Trump and Russia. And John Durham, man, he was supposed to get to the bottom of it and tear it apart. And the only thing that John Durham found was that there was there was criminal wrongdoing on the part of Donald Trump. So we got to bury that sucker. That's never going to see the light of day. And now and now we have I don't know what the metaphor. The the uh, I mean, I hate you know what I hate to say. I hate to say we have the inmates around the asylum or because that's just. This is just a, uh, an insult to inmates or the insane or anybody like that to say that the Republicans are in charge of the United States Congress. Uh, they are such a majority. And, such a, and, and then, really, they deserve 
their badge of honor is they are the party of George Santos. This the liar. He's they're oh. the party of liars because Katara. Have, excuse me. Are you talking about Katara? Oh, <laughs> Katara's his drag yeah. name. You know. Oh, I know, but. What's his signature? What's his signature? I mean, uh, can you recognize? I wonder if if George Santos would would ever write something like, "I love the uh, uh, Galatians chapter six verse verse eleven says, see what large letters I write in my own hand, so that you know it is me." Says Saint Paul. I, I wonder if George Santos could say he would he write he would write something like that. See what large letters I write. So that you know it is me, George Santos, Deval Devada, Buddha, Blada, Buddha. I mean, come on. this guy is just—it's too funny. It is, it 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 is funny, but I I think that if this were the Republican Party of thirty years ago, it wouldn't just be the Republicans in Nassau County who are saying this guy needs to be kicked to the curb. Yes, we made a mistake. We were sold a bill of goods. He's a complete phony baloney, and we have to get rid of him. As opposed to Kevin McCarthy, who says, young Mr. Santos, which committees would you like? Okay, you'd like these two? Oh, that's no no problem. Let me make sure you get on those committees right away. Everything is a big, stinking, I mean, it it is a garbage dump. It is the dumpster fire that's just pumping out black smoke. I mean, it's just the choking black smoke of burning tires is what the Republican Party, the, the Republican Congress is right now. It is just the, basically, yeah, somebody threw a bunch of tires in a dumpster and set it on fire with gasoline, and it is choking black smoke all over the city, and that is the Republican Party. Baby, if that ain't it, I don't know what we're spelling. Yeah. Thank you for that call, Paul. And this is uh, kind of related to that. Uh, the Republican Party You know, we keep talking about how, you know, we see cracks and, you know, are they going to continue to support Donald Trump? Well, Ronna McDaniel, Ronna Romney McDaniel uh, was reelected as head of the Republican National Committee, even though Ron DeSantis was supporting uh, someone else. She was a reelected. So this is the woman who has presided over uh, the Trumpian Trumpiest Republican Party. We will see what this means. Maybe those cracks that we're seeing, not quite as big as we thought they were going to be. And again, in 2024, not only do we have to worry about president, but we have to worry about a Senate seat that Democrats have. Well, I'm sorry. Um, the dem- the seat that Democrats had in Arizona, Kirsten Sinema's seat. She's now, remember, resigned from the Democratic Party. She's calling herself an independent. She said she will still caucus with the Democrats. This means that she's still promising to mostly vote the way they vote, but it doesn't mean she's going to be subject to any of their rules or, or policies if she doesn't so choose. And um, the problem is that if she runs as an independent, independence, independent candidates siphon off, generally speaking, more Democratic votes than they do Republican votes. She could end up being a spoiler. She could end up ensuring that a Democratic seat in a Senate goes to a Republican. There is a man who was um, seriously considering primarying her, even if she stayed a Democrat. His name is Ruben Gallegos, and um, 
he has decided to officially run as a Democrat for Senate in 2024. I um, watched his campaign ad. It's a little bit too lengthy to share with you in its entirety, but he really, this is a guy who had a rough upbringing. You talk about somebody who literally brought himself up by the bootstraps. You are talking about this guy, single mom, um, but he was bright and he was working really hard and end up getting into the Ivy League. And I mean, this is it's an American success story. I can't, uh, I don't want to spend the time to, to share the whole thing with you, but I want to share some of him talking about himself and what he wants to do when he is hopefully the next Democratic senator from Arizona. Listen to this. Not for- Growing up poor, the only thing I really had was the American dream. An opportunity. It's the one thing that we give every American, no matter where they are born in life. It was actually something to believe in and to fight for. The odds that a single one immigrant mom with a Latino boy, statistically, I was never supposed to end up even in college. I slept on a floor in a couch in a roll-on mat. Hearing her cry like every night being stressed out about how she was going to raise like four kids on a secretary salary you know with an absent father time to step up and be a father figure to my three sisters and skipping my teenage years influenced me a lot when you're poor you really need a belief and a hope in a better future you want to make you one? And what helps to do that is when you have other people believe with you. My family, who didn't laugh at me when I told them I'm going to Harvard, had teachers, did everything they could to make sure that it was possible. I had a government that believed in kids like me. I really did feel that I owed the country something. And we got sent to Iraq. Losing all my friends, consistently being shot at. And people are trying to blow you up all the time. You never really fully come back from a war. You're not the same person. Fighting through PTSD. There were some very low moments in my life. But I still didn't give up hope and push forward. I found a new way to keep serving. Hey, hey, hey. You're the first group of people that are hearing this, besides my family. I will be challenging Kirsten Cinema for the United States Senate, and I need all of your support. Most families feel that they are one or two paychecks away from going under. That is not the way that we should be living in this country. The rich and the powerful, they don't need more advocates. It's the people that are still trying to decide between groceries and utilities that needs a fighter for them. There is no lobbyist for working families. We could argue different ways about how to do it, but at the core, if you're more likely to be meeting with the powerful than the powerless, you're doing this job incorrectly. 
I'm sorry that politicians have let you down, but I'm going to change that. I'm Ruben Gallego. I'm running to be the senator of Arizona. Because you deserve somebody fighting for you and fighting with you every day to make sure you have the same chance of Sueño Americano. Pretty impressive, isn't it? I didn't really know much about him before I looked at that video. What he has overcome and what he has accomplished, um, the fact that he's a war veteran. um, If Kirsten Sinema, with her independent status, if Kirsten Sinema in 2024 is the spoiler who prevents this man from joining the Senate... Do you think she understands that she will be even more reviled than she is now? The Democrats in Arizona have made it quite clear to her that they are utterly disgusted with her. They turned their back on her before she turned her back on them. If she stays in the race and ends up being a spoiler... That woman isn't going to get a job at the local grocery store. I think if something like that happens, and if she still somehow envisions herself having some kind of political future, she is absolutely going to have to give up her independent status and just embrace the fact that she is now a part of the Republican Party. I can't imagine any other way for her to move forward. I I really can't. And supposedly, by all accounts, this is a woman who not that long ago thought she was a potential presidential candidate in 2024. That was supposedly why she was, you know, fighting to keep the filibuster, getting all this attention, occasionally voting against the Democrats occasionally voting against what Joe Biden wanted because somehow she thought that while she would still have the support of Democrats because she was a Democrat, but showing that she had this independent streak would appeal to Republicans. And man, once she had Republican and Democratic support, she was as good as a nominee for 2024. That supposedly was the story her aides were spinning to her. This is a woman who betrayed her values because she thought she could get the brass ring, and instead she has fallen off of the merry-go-round. We shall see. We are going to take a break for news at the top of the hour, and we come back, we're going to talk to Joe Dunn, who is running to be the next older person for the 48th Ward. Harry Osterman's retiring. We'll be back after this. Take Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. This could turn violent. Here's the AP's Jackie Quinn. FBI Director Christopher Ray. What happened in, in Memphis is obviously tragic. I've seen the video myself, and I will tell you, I was appalled. He says the FBI is ready to help with any demonstrations that turn violent. All of our field offices have been alerted to 
work closely with their state and local partners, including in particular, of course, in Memphis. Attorney General Merrick Garland calls for calm when people see the images of the 29-year-old FedEx worker Tyree Nichols being beaten and shocked, an assault by five police officers, which led to murder charges. We urged that they be peaceful uh, and nonviolent. A number of community events in Memphis have been canceled for the weekend. I'm Jackie Quinn. In San Francisco, video and 911 audio have been released from last year's beating of Paul Pelosi in his home. The 82-year-old husband of former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called police after a man entered the home. No, I don't know who he is. He, he, uh, uh, he has his he's on He's telling me not to. Uh, he's telling me not to do anything. Pelosi was beaten with a hammer and was seriously injured. Nancy Pelosi was not home at the time. The suspect is David DePap. Do you regret that you did this? You know, I mean. No, it needed to be done. DePap is being held without bail. At the South Carolina murder trial of Alex Murdoch, Sheriff's Detective Laura Rutland says Murdoch was asked what he was doing about the time his wife and son were shot and killed. He took a nap. Did he say where he went after that? To check on his uh, mother with Alzheimer's in Hampton. The Dow finished up 28 points. This is AP News. It will be at least two more years for the leader of the Republican National Committee, Ronna McDaniel. The secret ballot vote at the GOP's National Committee's annual meeting in California was 111 to 51 for current chair Ronna McDaniel. The election did highlight fierce internal divisions that threatened to plague the party into the next presidential season. While former President Donald Trump privately backed McDaniel, powerful forces from within his Make America Great Again movement lined up up behind one of his attorneys, Harmeet Dillon. Another candidate was my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell. I'm Shelley Adler. A judge ruled a man charged with killing 10 people at a Colorado supermarket nearly two years ago remains mentally incompetent to stand trial. Ahmed Al-Alewi Alisa was found to be mentally incompetent in December of 2021 and was sent to the state mental hospital for treatment. I'm Ed Donahue, AP News. This is 820 AM, WCPT Willow Springs, and streaming worldwide at WCPT820.com. We are Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Now, your WCPT820 weather update. Here's the latest Chicago weather update. Mainly cloudy skies tonight, low temperature near 20, and winds out of the west occasionally gusting up to 40 miles an hour. A winter weather advisory for Saturday, 1 to 2 inches of snow during the day, and another 1 to 3 inches of snow Saturday night. Saturday's high temperature around 31 degrees. Snow ending Sunday with a high of 28. Monday, cloudy, high of 19. Tuesday, light snow with a high of 15. In the Weatherology Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Ray Miller. Right now, it's 35. Hey, where's Hal Sparks? I'm not sure where he is now, but I know where you can find him Saturdays at 11. He'll be right here on WCPT 820 for the Hal Sparks radio program, Mega Worldwide. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We, if you live in the city of Chicago, are going to be going to the polls on February 28th. There are other locations that will also be going to the polls that day. There's going to be some ballots in the Lake County. Um, so there are going to be lots of people who are going to be voting February 28th. If you live in the city of Chicago, 
You are going to be voting not simply for mayor. You may be very well voting for a new alder person. There are some 15 or 16 uh, alder people who have either decided to uh, retire or who may be a couple of them are running to be the next mayor. Some of them have already run for different offices and been elected to them. So um, in the 48th Ward, Harry Osterman is retiring. One of the 10 candidates running to replace him is Joe Dunn, who joins us now uh, to talk about himself and his candidacy. Joe, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So first, uh, give our audience a little bit of background on you, yourself, your family, you, you know, where you grew up, where you went to school, what you've been doing for a living. Sure, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Uh, so the, the 48th Ward's my home, and, and it always has been. I was born and raised here. Um, I'm the third generation of my family to grow up in Edgewater. My, my, my mother uh, grew up just blocks from where we live, and uh, Jennifer and I bought the family home uh, when my mom passed away in 03, and we're raising our children there. So my kids are, are really the, they're the fourth generation of my family here in the ward. Um, and uh, that's, I, I have deep roots. Uh, I've been here my, my whole life, and I really care about the community. And, and that's, um, you know, the, the, the longevity there is really important to me and knowing the people that I've lived with and uh, lived around. Um, and, uh, you know, I've also been very active in the ward. Uh, so, so I grew up here. I went, I went to hate school, which is the local public school for kindergarten, and then uh, ultimately graduated from Bell School. Uh, and I, I stayed in the city uh, really my whole life. I went to Columbia College and ultimately went to Northwestern, where I got my MBA, um, and uh, uh, lived in the ward while I was going to, to, to Northwestern. So it's, it's been my home really uh, almost every day of my life, except for uh, a year when I moved to, uh, to Wrigleyville. Um, uh, I've been very active uh, in the ward as well. Raising, raising our kids here has been uh, a great experience. Um, they go to Pierce. My, my eldest goes to Lane, but my, my two younger are at Pierce. And um, when I got involved, when, when Bridget first started there, I got involved with the parent community at Pierce. We, uh, we had uh, we had the Friends of Pierce organization that was raising money to support the school. Uh, and I, I got involved pretty much on my first day at the school with them. We raised a lot of money initially to support the technology needs at the school and then uh, transitioned more over the years to supporting arts and enrichment programming. And, and my involvement with Friends of Pierce led to me running for the local school council uh, uh, the first uh, first time. Uh, Pierce was a school that, that had some culture and climate issues, I guess I'd say, when, when Bridget started there. It was mm-hmm. a school where people from the neighborhood, would, would families would stay maybe to fourth grade and then look for other opportunities. And uh, uh, myself and another group of parents really came together to say uh, there, are, there are issues at the school that need to be addressed and changed. And I ran for, uh, I ran for LSC and I was elected. And uh, we... we started a process of, of trying to have more community involvement and more open meetings and, and really listen to the parent and uh, parent and teacher community on what the school needed to change. And that led to uh, selecting a new principal. I, I ran the principal selection committee when we, uh, in about, it was 2010. 
when we selected Principal Zaney, who is now, uh, I think, on her third contract at Pierce, and she's really taken the school to new heights, uh, which is it's exciting to see. And that was really that that came about through us engaging the community and saying, what do you want in the principal? And we went to CPS and we said, we want to have wide open forums. Uh, we don't want this decision just made by the local school council and the, the 11 or 12 people that sit on that council and vote. We, we want it to be a decision that's made by everybody. And we had open forums. We had wide open interviews. We might have had 20 people or so in the interview sessions. Uh, and of course, had to clear everything with CPS legal. And it was it was wild to me as as a parent and as someone who's been active in the community and, and really a, an advocate for community involvement and community voice to have CPS say to us that nobody's ever tried to do this before. Nobody's asked if they could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was a process that I think was very. Uh, was healing for, for some of the problems at the school and brought everyone together. And ultimately we had a, a unanimous vote on, on the selection of the new principal. And, and that was really, um, that was for me, that was validating for the process and validating for the, the effort and the hours I, I put in at the school, uh, you know, evenings and, and weekends in that process. Um, and it was great. Uh, and it's, it's really paid dividends. There are 10 candidates who would like to replace Harry Osterman uh, in the 48th Ward, and yet Harry Osterman and former Alderperson Marianne Smith have both endorsed you. How did you get those endorsements? Well, um, you know, Marianne was one of the first people I spoke with when I was thinking about running for Alderman, and uh, and she really embraced the idea, and, and, and I think that was because because of my involvement in, in, in the in ward and the, the work that I'd done at Pierce. I mean, people, I, people know me and they know my name because I've been so involved and such an advocate for the school. Uh, there's a, there, there's families that there's other families in the ward that have been here for generations. And I've heard from them, you know, my mother went to St. Gertrude. So there's, there's a strong uh, Catholic community around the parish and, and a Catholic school there that that's also a very good school. And, and as Pierce got better, uh, students started leaving NCA and, and going to Pierce. And I, I've heard from from some families that, that are, are very supportive where they're like, you know, it's great all the work you did, uh, but we're, we're sad to have seen the impact it had on, on pulling families out of the school that has been a, a, a traditional school for a lot of families in the neighborhood. But it was that involvement, I think, and, and, and people knowing me and knowing my commitment to the ward uh, and, the, and the community and the families that live here that really brought Marianne on board. Uh, and, and the same thing with Harry, I believe. Um, we worked with him a lot on, on the LSC at, at Pierce um, on a number of issues. Uh, and the most recent one that sticks out to me was when CPS privatized the janitorial services and, and uh, we really had to work to hold them accountable. I think it was Aramark, but uh, once they privatized, the level of service wasn't there and the alderman's office was very helpful in, in getting us to the right people to, to get them to come to the, the local school council and address the concerns that teachers and families and students were bringing before us. So, mm-hmm. so Mary Ann and Harry knew me from, from my, my work in the ward. And I think that, uh, Carried a lot of um, carried a lot of weight when they looked at who they wanted to endorse in the race. I'm speaking with Joe Dunn. He's one of ten candidates that's going to be on the February 28th ballot. He is running to be the next Alder in the 48th Ward. 
Um, we are going to take a break and continue this discussion, but before we break, I want to uh, let you know that ABC7, just about 15 minutes ago, uh, posted uh, that there is a crash involving up to 70 cars that has closed down I-94 near the Illinois-Wisconsin border. Um, it apparently happened about 1.45 this afternoon. If you are headed that way, you should know traffic is being diverted off I-94 at Route 173 and Russell Road. Um, it's This is obviously a situation that's developing, and uh, if I get more information about this, I will let you know. But you should know that I-94 near the Illinois-Wisconsin border is closed right now. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with more right after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. Amy Goodman reports on the news stories rarely covered by the corporate media. Democracy Now! Youth activist Lucky Abang of the Pan-African Climate Justice Alliance demanded rich countries pay poor nations for loss and damage caused by climate disasters like recent floods in Nigeria that killed more than 600 people while displacing over a million. Democracy Now! Weekday evenings at 11 on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. You're listening to WCPT 820. Because facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And I am uh, joined by Joe Dunn. You'll find his name on the ballot. He's running to be the next older person of the 48th Ward. Harry Osterman's retiring, but he gave Joe his endorsement to be the next older person. Joe, uh, we had this mayoral forum yesterday, and there was one question that I really liked that I would like to ask you. You know, everybody that we talked to had a wealth of experience in all different forms of local and public government and business and activism. And we asked each person to say, but what is it about you your experience that makes you uniquely qualified to pursue this office. What is unique about you, Joe Dunn? Well, that's a great question. Uh, thank you for asking it. I think what's unique about me is is my experience in the city uh, beyond the 48th Ward in that uh, I've been an affordable housing developer in Chicago now for about the last 17 years, and I've worked in communities from Woodlawn to Lawndale and West Garfield Park, Humboldt Park, Logan Square, Cabrini Green, uh, Lathrop Homes, uh, Hilliard Homes down by Chinatown, uh, really worked across the city and working with the communities, uh, working with the elected officials and the city departments to to develop affordable housing, to, to find the right way to get it done in different communities and to work with those communities with the needs that they had. And, and as I'm sure, you know, across the city of Chicago, it's a, there, every community is different. Every community has different needs, but there is a consistent need for housing across the city and there's a consistent need for affordable housing, but it's not always embraced. So, so it's that experience and skill that I've had in, in navigating the, 
sort of the community engagement and community involvement process uh, mm-hmm. around affordable housing, as well as the, the government process that makes me unique in this race for, uh, for the aldermanic seat. What would you say right now is your biggest obstacle, the biggest challenge you have to overcome to win this seat? Well, today it's the snow. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I, I think it's, uh, I think, you know, I, I say that lightly, but uh, I think right now the weather and, and getting out there and making sure that I'm reaching all the all the voters who don't know who I am is the biggest obstacle. Uh, I've got great name recognition. I've got a lot of local support, but it takes uh, it, it takes an effort and uh, and a real strong ground game to get out there and ring the bells and talk to people and and get into the corners of the ward that you don't usually get to. It's a it's a big ward. It's uh, very diverse. There's Buildings, you know, we have high-rise buildings on Sheridan and a lot of dense uh, rental and condominium buildings along Kenmore and Winthrop. And those are a challenge to reach the voters over there because you can't ring the doorbells and, mm-hmm. and, and you can't get in and, and talk to them in the same manner you can when you're walking streets uh, that have single-family homes or, or two flats or three flats. Is there anybody currently working in the city council who you particularly admire? You know, um, that is a very good question. I don't, I don't know. I think there's a there's a number of aldermen I think that have had a, a long time commitment to affordable housing that I've worked with. Um, that I, I admire their their commitment to it. Uh, I don't know that um, I don't know them as as people really uh, as so much as I know them in, in their role as aldermen. But I think uh, one person who stands out, and I, it really just from the years of having worked with him at Cabrini-Green, is uh, Alderman Walter Burnett. I think he has a real strong commitment to his community. Uh, he, he came from Cabrini-Green, grew up there, and uh, in the years we worked with him, he had a very strong focus in making sure that the families that, that he knew and the families that grew up and, and were displaced from Cabrini-Green had the opportunity to come back when new housing was built. And I think that sort of commitment to community and commitment to making sure that um, people have their place in the communities that they're from uh, is something I respect. When you get to the city council, is there a certain ordinance that's working its way through the council that you really want to help move forward? Or is there something, a, something, an area you're passionate about that you want to um, bring to the city council as a first-time alder person? What's, what's, what's your motivation? What are you going to be excited about starting on right away, hitting the ground running on this project? You know, I think that uh, we have a real need in the city for supportive housing. And you see that with, with people who are now living in the tents and in, in the parks and under viaducts. And, and that's, a, that's a real challenge. And I know there's the Bring Chicago Home Ordinance that has a lot of support. I think that should, I think that should have a, a hearing and have discussion. I'm not sure that it's the right vehicle for, for solving the issue, but I think we need, we need to look at you it. You don't think that the, the way it wants to spend the money is correct, or you don't like the fact that council members want to raise the real estate transfer tax for house sales over a million dollars to fund it, which is the part that you have a little bit of a question about. 
One of my questions is, and I've heard some of the advocates for it say that it'll create a, a steady stream of funding. And I think that, the, you know, the transfer tax is a, a tax that's based on the, you know, the, the, the revenue will rise and fall with the number of the, the sales of property. I, I, I'm sure it will bring in money for, for housing, but I think that uh, what we need really is, you know, immediate issues to address. We, we need supportive uh rental subsidies for people. Uh, and I think I'm not sure that the mechanism of the transfer tax is the right way to go. Uh, I'd like to discuss it with, with the advocates and also have uh, some of the, the organizations that are opposed to it at the table and find out what are the, what's the right way to do it. it is, I don't know that the million dollars is, is a magic threshold. Uh, should, it, it, there's possibility it could be a graduated tax. Um, but I think that discussion right now isn't happening, and I'd, I'd like to see it advance. Uh, I'm absolutely supportive of finding revenue for affordable housing and for supportive housing and making sure we're addressing the homeless crisis. Um, but I think that we need to bring everybody together on a solution. And right now it seems like the two parties aren't, you know, the, the two sides of the issue aren't really talking to each other. And, and that's one thing I've done throughout my career, uh, both in housing and, and working in kids' schools and volunteership, is try and bring people together and, and find some common ground. And I, I, I'd like to try and uh, fill that role with the mm-hmm. Chicago Home Ordinance and, and see it advance. How would you describe your politics? Are you conservative, middle of the road, moderate, liberal, progressive? What label would you give yourself? Well, that's a, that's a good question too. I, I think it's um, maybe moderate progressive. I, I lean towards the progressive side with the with the work I do and, and the communities that I've worked with. Um, but I also, you know, I'm on the business side of, of developing affordable housing, and I know that it needs to work for the long term. Uh, and so there's a, you know, there's moderation in my politics from that side because I I've spent a lot of time refinancing. Uh, deals that were uh, structured more from a mission-based approach to say this is uh, a population we want to serve and, and, and we need to serve them, and then 10 years or so down the road, the, the economics aren't working out. So I'm sort of more, I guess, a more balanced approach is what I would have in, in saying that, yeah, we got to serve them. We, we need to fulfill the mission, but we need to do it in a way that's sustainable. So I, I think that moderate progressive, if that's a thing. <laughs> Uh, well, that works for me. What's one thing that that you've done that you are particularly proud of? One thing I've done that I'm particularly proud of, mm-hmm. politically you know, think, or personally. Well, my kids, absolutely. And uh, but I think it comes back to uh, the work at, at Pierce. Uh, I'm really proud of what we did there. And I'm really proud of the, the leadership role I was able to provide both on the Friends of Pierce board and, and at the LSC. And I think that uh, it continues to pay dividends in the, the, the community that we were able to build at the school. Um, and, and it's it's uh, it, it's something I, I, I'm absolutely proud of it. And I tell people about Pierce all the time. I've been a, a cheerleader for the school for oh, over a dozen years at this point. We have um, just a little bit of time left, so I'd like to give you the opportunity to share whatever message you would like with our audience. Oh, great. Thank you. I think the message that I have is, you know, I am, I think, uh, the best candidate for the 48th Ward uh, Alder seat. I'm 
committed to the community. I'm committed to community voice in governance and decision-making. I've embodied that in the volunteership I've had within the, the, the neighborhood and within the school system. I've embodied that, I think, in, in my work in affordable housing. And I have the experience and skill set needed to really step into the job and work with the, the agencies at the city and, and the other electeds to, to focus on building solutions for the issues that the city faces. And that's everything from public safety to affordability, supporting our schools uh, and, and economic development. Do you have a website where people can go and learn more about you and maybe support your candidacy in some way? I sure do. My website is joedunn48.com, and that's F-O-R-4-8.com. Joe, it was a pleasure talking with you. I think uh, I think it's going to be fun uh, the night of the 28th. Where are you going to be? Where are you going to be watching the results? I think I'll probably be watching the results right here at the campaign office. Uh, but we haven't made uh, we haven't made final plans. My office is at 5459 North Broadway, and uh, we're open seven days a week. So volunteers and, and neighbors can stop on by. I'd love to see people. The doors open. People come in and out throughout the day, and, and I'm here most uh, when I'm not when I'm not out ringing doorbells or at candidate forums. I'm uh, I'm here working with my campaign staff to to build a path to win. Well, there have already been a number of forums uh, to, for the candidates of the 48th Ward. Um, it's obviously a very politically interested group of residents that live in the 48th. I'm sure there will be more uh, before the election on February 28th. Joe, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for telling us about yourself. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation to join the, the show, and, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity. Take care of yourself. We are going to take a break. We are going to be back with uh, something pretty interesting. It has to do with Planned Parenthood and art. We'll talk more when we come back. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Tune into the Tom Hartman Radio Program, your home for news, opinion, and insight, right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. You may be looking for something to do this weekend, uh, if you don't have to work this weekend, and I hope you don't. And if you are listening to this radio station, you are also somebody who really cares about progressive politics. Well, uh, at the Weinberg Newton Gallery, that's in River North, they are partnering with Planned Parenthood of Illinois. They have a new exhibit called For Those Without Choice. It addresses reproductive rights and um, the laws that affect those, personal decision-making for medical procedures. It's comprised of the work of 20 pro-choice artists and advocates, including the national group Shout Your Abortion. They're all going to be presenting work that uh, they hope will inspire conversation 
the curator of the this exhibit joins us now. Uh, Nabiha Khan Giordano joins us. Uh, Nabiha, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to talk about this. Of course. Thank you for having me. So, you know, I've given my <clears throat> bare bones description of what this is and why it is. Uh, walk us through it in more detail. Sure. Um, first, I will point out that the gallery moved a couple of years ago. So we've moved from River North to River West. Um, oh. And we're actually three times um, the size now of our old space. So wow. we're just a little shy of 7,000 square feet, uh, which is amazing for what we can offer our nonprofit um, organization partners and artists. Uh, so with this exhibition, one of the things we got to do is we do have this large storefront now. So one artist, Al Weinbaum, um, contributed text-based artwork. It says abortion is not a crime. So that's present quite large in our windows, um, you know, quite direct in its address and messaging. Uh, this kind of work is, is representative of not only um, Elle's practice, but a number of uh, the other artworks in the exhibition. So what's the exact address, since I seem to be, have old information? Oh, that's okay. So the exact address is 688 North Milwaukee Avenue. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, and, and just since I am talking about the windows, and you mentioned Shout Your Abortion, um, an amazing national organization, um, they haven't, they they are included in the exhibition. One of the ways in which they're included is with their fake clinics material. This is material that is free on their website. It's a project intent on raising awareness of and exposing fake clinics through a series of messages um, warning people against the deceitful appearance, appearance and anti-abortion practices of um, what big clinics are, which is they also called crisis pregnancy centers. How did this come together? This is such an interesting and unusual idea. So the gallery um, has had a relationship with Planned Parenthood of Illinois. They are our partner in this exhibition. We're working with them on a number of public programs. Um, more information on those, those programs can be found on our website, WeinbergNewtonGallery.com. Um, so we've been in dialogue with them for a couple of years, trying to kind of get the timing right. They're obviously very busy folks, especially now. Um, but we were able to talk with them and, and come up with a plan on how to best use these few months to um, present these artworks as well as the public programs to really um, engage the community here in Chicago. You know, we talked about um, wanting this to be something that gets people thinking and gets people talking. If you were standing in one part of the gallery, what kind of reaction from people would make you think, yep, that's it, we accomplished what we were trying to do? Um. One of the wonderful things about this exhibition, because there are so many artists, there are a number of views into this topic. And so I found that visitors come and they kind of connect to a different piece. There isn't one piece that everyone connects to and finds their space for 
thinking through these, um, you know, hard topics and hard conversations to have with each other, especially with, you know, everybody has folks in their friend circle or family circle in particular that um, have have differing opinions. Um, but I think we all we all agree, agree that there are basic human rights or maybe we don't all agree on what those are. Um, but it's the conversations that I've been having with visitors, um, kind of these these personal experiences that people are comfortable sharing with me, um, that shows me that folks are really thinking and that the this topic is extending beyond these walls um, in a new way for a lot of the visitors. They're, they they mention how they want to bring other people that maybe they haven't engaged in these conversations with in the past to this space. Um, there There's also works in this space uh, like Marzina, um, Ibrahimovic. She has a photograph. It's called Us. It's an intimate view of the artist's home life with her infant. And then she has a second image, Mother, which is a self-portrait during pregnancy. So this piece offers another glimpse into the choice of reproduction and impending motherhood. So I think, again, this um, array of works and perspectives is really is giving a lot of people a different access point into the conversation we're trying to have in our space. I have found that artists tend to be brave, pretty brave people. Um, Are you worried about controversy? Um, It's a good question. I'm not worried about controversy. I will say it's the first exhibition that I've been worried about safety in a different way. Uh Um, Safety for the artists, safety for our staff and our space. Um, Luckily, you know, again, we're partnered with Planned Parenthood of Illinois, um, and they're amazing, and they're experts in their work and in doing this kind of public-facing work. So we've really leaned on them to to guide us and and how how to best prepare. I wanted to ask you about that relationship, because even though they're obviously very involved in this issue, as far as I know, they don't have a staff of artists. So tell me about their role. Um, So so in this partnership, the gallery comes with, you know, the expertise in art and the relationships with the artists. So it's a true collaboration with them where they come with all of their knowledge and expertise and they're really focused on the program, bringing in the experts for the program. And then I'm the one that went out, had conversation with artists. But I also chatted with them during that process to get some feedback. And and what kind of information and input did they give you? You know, they're they're just such wonderfully, wonderfully supportive people um, at that organization. And so a lot of it was, you know, just kind of, this is great. You're going in the right direction. Um, and, and I think a lot of it was just to essentially to keep them engaged during the process because they, I think for them, it's such a driving force to see other people, other organizations, but artists too, in particular, the way in which they work is different. Um, And to be able to see how other artists and communities are activating their spaces. And 
are supporting what Planned Parenthood does. I think especially now, Planned Parenthood, we want to all show our support. Um, there was that recent fire in Peoria that happened mm-hmm. right before this exhibition opened. Um, what so she's talking about is there was a Molotov cocktail uh, thrown into the facility in Peoria, and someone um, has been arrested, a, um, a youngish white man. I know that's a shock. Um, but he was caught on video committing the crime. And, um, you know, it's, it's, that's the kind of crime that is just, it's designed to try to make people afraid. And I, I am so glad that Planned Parenthood is not an organization that cowers, uh, when there's uh, something like this. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt there. Oh, no, you're, that's, that's very, that's, I'm with you on all of that. Um, and yeah, in terms of the relationship with selecting the artwork, though, again, it is re- that is really what I do. Um, that's the part that I bring to it. Um, and they get to be a part of those conversations um, but work more directly in the program, um, which uh, we will kick off in February. Um, again, those details are on our website. And I also want to just plug Planned Parenthood's website, which is PlannedParenthood.org. Um, I, I think many of everybody listening probably knows, but if, if you're looking for more information on what they do, you can find that there. Yeah. I know that this is going to be a showing with uh, 20 or more than 20 pro-choice artists. Are they all women? Um, uh, the majority of the artists identify um, as women. Um, but I, I don't want, um, oh, uh, I'm just sorry. curious as, as to see, you know, cause we think of these issues as the ones that, you know, people who are identify as women care about and not necessarily, we don't always think uh, front and center of, you know, men being really involved, uh, in, in these issues. That's the only reason I ask. Yes. Uh, the majority of the women in this exhibition identify as women. The majority of people in this exhibition identify <laughs> as women. Um, how long is this going to be um, available for people to see? So this exhibition is up through April 15th. Um, and this weekend we're open through Sunday. So we're open Thursday through Sunday, 11 to 5 p.m. every week. And give the address again, since I messed up and told people it was in a wrong part of town. So our address is 688 North Milwaukee Avenue. Well, I think it's a wonderful exhibit, and I'm going to do my darndest to get there before it closes. This is this is a big issue with me personally, and obviously it's something that we in at this radio station as a progressive people really support a woman's right to bodily autonomy and are just stunned and horrified that that seems to be disappearing in many places before our eyes. And I am so proud of the state of Illinois and the measures they've taken to protect women. And I think what you're doing is an incredible idea. And I really hope people come there and it inspires discussion on this topic. I don't think there can be enough of that. Um, Nabia, how do you feel about it? I, I agree with you fully. There needs to be more. There, There is not enough now. I don't know if there ever will be, um, but there needs to be more. 
you know, in, and in more places than just Illinois, it's easy to be had here. We have a lot of support here, but we, we also border all around us. Um, we need to support our community. Absolutely. All around us. And, you know, if you think art is just something pretty, you know, that's uh, sitting on the wall, you really need to do a deep dive into art because it is radical and it is political and it makes you feel things and it makes you think about things. And an exhibit like this titled For Those Without Choice, uh, Weinberg Newton Gallery. I mean, that's that brings all of those different aspects of art together. And uh, Navia Khan Giordano, I am so pleased you're doing this. And thanks for coming on the air with us and talking about this. Thank you, Joan. I hope to see you at the gallery soon. I will look for you. I will ask for you. Please do. Okay. Have a- we, we are going to take a break, and we are going to wrap up this very long week when we come right back after this. Facebook. Message us. Instagram. Follow us. Twitter. Tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT 820. Chicago's Progressive Talk. WCPT 820, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Returns right now on WCPT 820. If you have been taking notes, and I have no doubt that you have been taking notes, uh, you will know that I've mentioned I'm taking next week off. I'm going to go out to California and visit with my daughter who lives out there. I will, of course, be back on February 6th. The very next day is uh, President, President Biden scheduled to give a State of the Union address. And let's not forget that a couple weeks after that, We're going to be watching a Wisconsin primary for the Supreme Court, hugely important in Wisconsin. And then a week after that, I think there's going to be a vote for mayor. Probably won't elect a mayor that night, but uh, we'll send two people into a runoff. So you're going to be in really good hands next week. Monday, Richard Chu is going to be here. Tuesday, January 31st, Hal Sparks will be taking over my show. Wednesday on February 1st, it will be Marge Halperin. Thursday, February 2nd, Eric Zorn will be here. That's also the day the Picky and Sentinel comes out, so I'm sure he's going to talk about that. And Friday, February 3rd, Turi Ryder will be back. Turi, who did such an excellent job holding down the fort at the studio, talking to David Axelrod and Pat Quinn um, at the beginning and in the middle and at the end of our mayoral forum. She did a great job, as did everyone else. So you are going to be in very, very good hands. We spent uh, two hours talking about the news of the day, but one story we didn't revisit was the loss of Lynn Bramer this week. Uh, Lynn died Sunday morning. He had been on Chicago's radio airwaves for nearly 40 years. He was a famous Cubs fan, a famous eater of food with eating pants on. He touched so many people from so many walks of life. I was really surprised in the most wonderful way to see Mike Quigley, Congressman Mike Quigley, talk about Lynn Bramer on the congressional floor. Um, The whole thing runs about five minutes I don't want to play the whole thing for you, but I want to share part 
You know, Lynn Bramer, you'd think, well, you know, musicians, great, fine. Okay, he knows a lot of the chefs, maybe other media people. Well, some baseball people. But um, Mike Quigley, you know, would go to Cubs games with him. This, uh, When we say Lynn Bramer was a renaissance man, we are not kidding around. So I want to share with you um, a little bit of a kind of an emotional Mike Quigley talking about Lynn Bramer on the congressional floor. Listen to this. From Lynn, we learned about the best restaurants in the city. We shared in the Cubs' wins and often losses and gained new perspectives from his essays. Lynn's been a rare combination of nostalgia, humor, empathy, kindness, and spirituality. I was honored to have lunch with Lynn at some of Chicago's most iconic locales like Manny's and Ann Sather's and, and to have spent a memorable Cubs game at his side. As he himself described, he regularly went out in his eating pants, an outfit with enough give to accommodate another Chicago meal at, at places like the Wiener Circle. Last July, he shared with his listeners that he had been diagnosed with prostate cancer and began a leave of absence to undergo treatment. This November, I know I wasn't the only Chicagoan who was delighted when he briefly returned to the airwaves. Now, during his time at XRT, he was made music director of the year three times and was voted the music director of the decade by readers of the Hard Report. But he was so much more than a radio host. He was Chicago's best friend in the whole world. When something big happened, Chicago would take turn to Lynn for his take on the events. Whether celebration or tragedy, he knew what to say. Now, in the wake of his loss, we turn to the dial wanting. He was married to his college sweetheart, Sarah, and they shared a son, Wilson. They were both by his side at his final moments. My thoughts and deepest condolences are with his family, with all Chicagoans, as we mourn his loss. In closing, as Lynn always reminded us, never take anything for granted. It's great to be alive. I yield back. Congressman Mike Quigley on the floor of the House of Representatives, memorializing our best friend in the whole world one more time, Lynn Bramer. We will not see his like again. Please, as I've uh, told you before, spend some time this weekend doing something somewhere, somehow that brings you joy. Because it is great to be alive. And that's what Lynn would want you to do. Put on your eating pants and go to the wiener circle. Or whatever makes you happy. That's going to do it for me. I will be back Monday, February 6th. Stay safe, my friends. Have a great evening. Good night.